morning. All right, so today, as Josh said, we are wrapping up our study in 2 Peter, and uh, I hope you've grasped Peter's heart over the last few months. I hope you've grasped his heart, that, um, that, that thing that we've said over and over and over again, that through the knowledge of Christ, given through the prophetic words of Scripture, right? The prophetic words of Scripture, and given through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, we have all things that pertain to life and to godliness. All things. All means all. Everything we need for life and for godliness has been given to us through the Holy Scriptures and through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in his church. We don't lack anything. How many of you ever feel like you lack some things? If only I had this. If only I had this other thing. If only I could conquer this or beat this. Then it would be all complete. We don't lack anything. We have all things that pertain to life and to godliness because of the Holy Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit alive in our lives. Be assured in that today. Be um, uh, encouraged in that today that we have all things that pertain to life and to godliness. We've talked about that at length over the last couple of weeks. But then in Second uh, chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter warns of these false teachers these people who take scriptures and twist them, people from within the congregation, from within the church, who have false and worldly and fleshly and greedy and lustful ideologies that lead people astray. They claim to be preaching a gospel, but it's not the true gospel when they themselves, they're promising freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, slaves of death, just as the prophet said that Jesus would come in the beginning of chapter 3, we talked about um, how, how the prophet said that Jesus would come. And he did come. The apostles saw it with their own eyes. And just as Jesus said that he will come again, Peter says that we can be assured that he will. That Christ will come, that Christ will return in this world and even the heavens. They will all pass away. He actually describes them that they will melt as they burn Last week we talked about then how should we live? What type of people ought we be in light of that fact? In light of the fact that this world will pass away, that the heavens themselves will pass away, what type of people, what kind of living, what type of investments, what type of roots should be laying down in this world as we wait for a new heaven and a new earth? So if you have your Bible, turn to Second Peter chapter 3. We'll be in those last Four verses, verses 14 through 18. Let's read it together. It says this, Therefore, beloved, or he goes again, calling them beloved, since you are waiting for these, okay, the new heavens and the new earth, the return of Christ, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable uh, twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You therefore, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people, and lose your own stability. 
Verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together and let's, uh, let's open this up. Father, again, we thank you for your words, for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you, God, that this is not just a book of advice. We thank you, God, that this is not just a handbook for Christian living. God, this is, this is the way that you've revealed yourself to us. This is the way that you've revealed truth to us. This is the way that you've revealed who you are. And God, this is how you've revealed who we are in you. God, as we open this scripture again today, Father, we ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would change us. That it wouldn't just be knowledge, that it wouldn't just be understanding, but get it, God, it would be uh, knowledge and understanding that leads to living. That it would be knowledge and understanding that leads to humility. That it would be knowledge and understanding, God, that leads to hope in you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you guys have been intentionally listening to Christmas music already? Oh, yeah. Like, it's been, it's been on for a while, hasn't it? Given this year, I think everybody started a little early. Some of you guys had quite a few Christmas decorations up quite a while ago. Um, the tree is up. The music's playing. We've got Thanksgiving behind us. And now it's game on. It's Christmas time. Okay, it's now time in the church calendar and in our lives, and everybody's been just kind of just waiting for it. We've all been chomping at the bit for it. It's the kickoff to the Advent season, and today is the kickoff to Advent and the church calendar. And normally, like, uh, like we say, we're, we're, we're normally in a series that centers around Advent, but I wanted to be able to wrap up this book, to wrap up Second Peter before we actually jumped into our Advent series. But there's something really beautiful about the way that Advent and our study in 2 Peter tie together this year. See, Advent, when you're talking about Christmas, right, we're talking about the anticipation uh, and the excitement around the arrival of baby Jesus, about our Messiah, the arrival of our Messiah, King Jesus himself. But we have this beautiful thing, this beautiful text in front of us. Think about um, back uh, when Jesus came in a manger, swaddling clothes. Think about the anticipation around that, all those words of prophecy. We talked about how there's 300 plus, 300 plus prophecies pointing to Jesus as the Messiah that have been fulfilled in him. You've got these magi from the east, like they're seeing the signs unfold. These people who study the stars and they're like, oh my goodness, the, 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 the Messiah is coming. They know that he's coming. There's this anticipation coming up. Now we have the scriptures in our hands and we see it unfold through the gospels. And it's like hindsight, right? Like we see the clarity of it. When we read the Old Testament and all the, all the uh, prophecy pointing to Jesus, and then now we read the story of Jesus and the way that he has fulfilled all of that, we gotta say to ourselves, man, it's so clear that he is the Christ. Hindsight, right? Hindsight being 2020. That's so weird to say that phrase nowadays. We see with great clarity, because of the Holy Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit, we see the coming, that first advent of our Messiah. 
We see his incarnation, and we know we have a God who understands and sympathizes with anything we may face. We have a God who sympathizes with 2020. We have a God who sympathizes with illness and sickness and pain and death because he put on flesh and walked this earth and experienced it all and can sympathize with you. In your darkest moments, in your most lonely moments, you have a God who understands. We see his sinless life that he lived. And not only is that life this great example for us to emulate, but if we treat it just as that, it becomes daunting. Because then we could never measure up, right? If Jesus is this life, if he's this example that I need to follow, I look at my life and I see how short I fall over and over and over again. And yes, he is a great example for us to emulate, but his sinless and perfect life, his perfect and holy and righteous life is not just something to emulate, but his perfect and holy and righteous life satisfies the perfect and holy and righteous law of God. And so then when we put our faith in Jesus, that perfect and holy and righteous life is put on us and counted to us as our righteousness. The righteousness that I could never earn or attain in my own doing. I will always fall short, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know, one man did not, the God-man Jesus Christ, who put on flesh for you and me, so his perfect life is counted as my righteousness. But then Christ, our Messiah, not only came to be our righteousness, but he came to be our atonement. His life was perfect, but, but his death was also perfect. His shed blood covers and atones for every sin I've ever committed, every past sin and every future sin that I will commit later on this afternoon as I'm yelling at the TV screen over the Packers. Just kidding. Every sin we've committed, every sin we are going to commit, and even our sinful nature, the blood of Jesus redeems and atones for. The sins we commit, but also our sinful nature, covered and made new by the cross of Jesus Christ. So his incarnation is our comfort and joy. His perfect life is our righteousness. His perfect death, that's our redemption. His perfect resurrection is our victory. His perfect and glorious return, that's our eternal hope. That's our hope. That's the great hope of this life, of this world, is the next life in Jesus. When he returns, that's what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, when our glorious Savior, our Messiah, King Jesus, returns for his church, that's our hope. And that's the first week of Advent. See, when Christ, when the Messiah came and put on flesh in the incarnation, the Christmas story that we celebrate, the hope that that was to the world, you and I have the same hope as his church 2,000 years later because he's going to come again 
for us. And so today, right here in the middle of our service, we're going to light this first candle because it represents the hope that is found in Christ alone. And I am grateful that there are so many in this room that have experienced that hope found in Jesus. Our text today, verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The, uh, the heading on this section of Scripture in my Bible, and, and maybe your Bible as well, says final words. Final words. I've got a few final words for you folks. Do you remember in chapter 1, Peter actually said that um, he knew that his time was coming soon. He knew that soon he was going to be dying, that the Lord Jesus had revealed that to him. And so he's writing this letter to these, uh, to these Christians in Asia Minor, giving them this last bit of encouragement. If I can leave you guys with anything, I want to leave you with this. Like if you had one opportunity to say one last thing, what would your words be? Peter's leaving them with these last words, these final words. And it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. No one likes to wait, do we? I think we've really lost the art of waiting. In this day and age, in our current day and age, we don't wait for anything. We'd like, you ever stand in front of the microwave with your fork, like just like tapping it, like you're tapping your foot and you're waiting like the two minutes that it takes to heat up that turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. That's one of the great things about Thanksgiving is leftovers. It's pretty awesome. But man, we can't wait two minutes for that thing to get done. You ever stared at your phone and you're like searching for something and you're like, and it like it's spinning for just a little bit and like you're like, it won't load for some reason, but it literally is like, it's only been like five seconds. You're like, oh, oh, teenagers, you teenagers in here, you kids that have joined us today. I've seen some of the frustration when your page won't load or your game keeps, game keeps glitching, right? We've lost the art of waiting. Lots of times when we're waiting, um, we're not very productive in that waiting. We're not eagerly anticipating what we're, uh, what we're waiting for. We're not very good at waiting, period. But the call here is, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, the return of Christ, new heavens, new earth, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We're eagerly waiting the return of Christ like a kid before Christmas, laying in your bed, dreaming of the moment when Christ will return. Like we said, like, like the Magi from the East who are eagerly waiting, watching for the signs. But Peter gives us a little bit of instruction for the while we wait moment. Verse 14 says, Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and be at peace. This idea of being diligent, we've talked about extensively in chapter 1. Do you remember that? It parallels to some of the language that Peter uses earlier in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, Make every effort to supplement your faith. Some translation says, Give all diligence 
to supplement your faith. Remember that? Supplement your faith with those seven virtues. Chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Be all the more diligent to confirm your faith, to confirm your election, to confirm your calling in Christ Jesus. Be all the more diligent. Peter says, since his knows that his time is coming soon, that he will make every effort, that he will give all diligence so that his church, so that the church will remember these things after he's gone. When we have to wait for something, what do we do? So many times you just grab their phone, right? We're waiting and just grab your phone. You got to browse your phone a little bit, surf some Facebook, surf some Instagram. Like we're waiting. We're just wasting time. Spend money, shop on Amazon. It says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. To be found by him. Kind of made me uh, think about when mom and dad leave. Mom and dad leaves the house and they leave the kids home alone. And the kids are supposed to be tasked with some things to do before mom and dad get back. Teenagers, you know what I'm talking about? Kids in here? Mom and dad are leaving. They're like, hey, I want you guys to clean your room. I want you to feed the dog, take out the trash, whatever it might be. And for the first, like, three hours of mom and dad being gone, it's like video games, dilly-dally, surfing, doing whatever, like checking things out. And all of a sudden, it's in that last little crunch time. It's like, uh-oh, mom and dad are going to be home quick. Now we're going to be diligent. Not being lazy, not being slothful, not being frantic even. Like, mom and dad are coming home quick. Actually, I saw a bumper sticker once that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. It's like the boss is coming. Look busy. It's horrible. But not also being frantic about it. Jesus has gone, and he gave a great commission for his church. When he left this earth and ascended to heaven, he said, go and make disciples. He said, here, here's a task. Here's something to do while I'm away. I left you here, and I left you here with a deposit of the gospel. I gave you the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I gave you the key. I gave you everything you need to, for life and for godliness. I left you here with the deposit of the gospel. I left you here with the deposit of the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go. It's better that I leave because then I can send the helper who will not only be with you, but he'll also be in you. I left you here with resources. I left you here with your awesome, quirky personality. I left you here with your beautiful context. I left you here with this family that you've created. I left you here in this job situation that you found yourself in. I left you in this context, in your personal context that only you are in. Jesus has gone and he's left us here with a task to be diligent about something. And here it says, without spot or blemish and at peace. When he returns, how will he find us? What did you do with the talents that he left you with? He's given us talents to invest, our passions to invest, our time and our money to invest, not in ourselves. That wasn't for us. It wasn't for me. Our life was meant for him. When he returns, how will he find us? You see, a life lived for me is a life full of spots and blemishes. But a life lived for Christ as we wait for our blessed hope, the return of Christ, it is full 
of peace. Our eyes are upward. Our goal is upward. Our life is lived upward. As you continue to read in our text today, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. Count the patience of the Lord as what? As salvation. How many of you are glad that Jesus didn't return before you came to faith in him? How many of you are glad that Jesus didn't return and was patient with you and your whole past life and you came to a saving knowledge of him? Some of you have got some seedy past. Some of you, I know your story. And God has forgiven you much. And God was patient with you through some really dark and horrible times. There's times of partying, times of drunkenness, times of sex and greed and sensuality. All about yourself. But God was gracious. God was merciful. He looked down and, and even thought, even though you were lost, even though you were rebellious, even though you were following the prince of the power of the air, because of his great love, because of his great mercy, because of his great patience towards you, he enlivened your heart to receive the gospel of Jesus by faith. It wasn't of your own doing. It was his great grace. It was his great mercy. And it was his patience that equals your salvation. So while we're patiently and eagerly waiting for his return, let's go tell our family. Let's go tell our friends Let's go tell our coworkers and our neighbors about the hope and salvation found in Christ alone and let his patience be their salvation too so that none should perish but have eternal life. Verse 15, again it says, And count the patience of our Lord of salvation just as your beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. See, Paul wrote about this uh, as well. Paul wrote about the patience of God in Romans chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 5 together here, and and verse 4 is really the key verse. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on, uh, on, on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice things and yet do them yourself, that you escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. His kindness his forbearance, his patience, was meant to lead us to repentance. Paul writes about this. Peter tells us that that Paul writes about this. He also says that some of the things written in Scripture, some of the things written by Paul are tough to understand. Peter admits that they're tough to understand, that he has some deep stuff written, and, and, and it can be difficult to understand, and some people take these Scriptures and will actually twist them and use them for their own gain. You ever feel like it's t- like you open your scriptures, you open the Bible, and you're like, man, I'm not sure what this is saying. It's okay. 
It's okay. Like, we're forever students. That's one thing that, that is beautiful about the scriptures. It's one thing that is beautiful about the Bible. That's why whenever I'm up here preaching, whenever we're up here teaching uh, scriptures, I never feel like I have to do it all. Because if we were to, like, really, really dive in to 2 Peter, like, we could be here for a super, super, super long time. You ever go through a book of the Bible and you're like, oh, man, just you're, like, you're, you're gleaning things left and right. You're gleaning things left and right. It's a beautiful thing. We're always going to be learning. We're always going to be gaining more from the scriptures. Your maturity right now, the level of your maturity right now in Christ Jesus is only one, one level. But as we grow and submit ourselves and humble ourselves to him and his word, we're going to learn something else next time we read it. We're going to learn something else about him and something else about us next time we read it. It's okay sometimes when, we, when it's tough to understand. But we have to stay grounded in him. The second half of uh, verse 16 again, it says, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorance and unstable twist to their own destruction. So they're ignorance and they're unstable. Okay, they don't know. They don't understand. Sometimes they're willfully ignorance. They don't want to understand. Because of their flesh, they want to take this and twist it and make it something that is self-gratifying. They're unstable. They're not grounded. They're shifting. They twist it to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures. Verse 17 says, You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Peter says, Be careful. It's deep and it's difficult to understand. Be careful. Some ignorant and unstable people will twist it and they'll use it for their own gratification. And it will lead to their own destruction. Be careful not to follow them in the error of their lawlessness. Take care that you're not carried away and led astray and lose your own stability. Don't follow the world. Don't get caught up with the ignorance and the unstable who twist scriptures and thus will be destroyed. But he says this, verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Don't get caught up. Don't get carried away. Don't get led astray. But grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus how do we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus? Let's start with the easier one. I think it's the easier one. Let's start with knowledge. How do we grow in the knowledge of Jesus? Scripture. 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 The holy word of God. We listen to those who teach and proclaim Scripture. We hang out with those who have been transformed by and live out Scripture. We hang out with those who hold fast to the unwavering authority of Scripture. See, Peter's describing someone who's ignorant and who has lost their stability. They're not stable. They're shifting and they're all over the place. Those who've lost their stability, those who are carried away by the world, have first let go of the perfection and the authority of Scripture. Okay? Those who get caught up by the world have first let go of the word. Those who get carried away by the lawlessness and, and um, the twistedness 
of, of a false gospel have first let go of the authority of the word of God. They've let go of the rule. They've let go of the reign. They start saying things like, what did, does the scripture really say that? It's tough for me to understand. It's tough for me to believe. It's tough for me to surrender and submit my life to the authority of this word. We find ourselves lost and swept away, carried away, and ultimately will be destroyed. We have to hold on to the scriptures. We have to bow to the scriptures. And when we do, we will grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To grow in the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus and what he has done for us. And also to grow in the knowledge of who we are in light of him. To humble ourselves before his word. To humble ourselves before his holy scriptures every day. To press it into our lives. You see, there's this battle. My will. It's hard to beat into submission to the word of God. I need to do it every day. I need to do it every day. I need the word of God pressed into my life. And some days I push back. I'm resistant towards it. But I humble myself before the Lord and I allow that word to press and transform me, to transform my mind, to transform my thinking, where all of a sudden the, the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in comparison to his word, in comparison to the wisdom of God. So in order for us to grow in the knowledge of Christ, we need to hold fast to the authority of his word. And how do we grow in grace? So grace is such, such a relational quality. When you're gracious towards someone, that's, that's, that speaks of this relationship one to another. It speaks of how God related to you. God was so gracious when he related to you. Oftentimes, grace is, is translated favor. It's undeserved. It's unearned. It's unmerited favor. Knowledge alone by itself can puff up, as it says in 1 Corinthians 8. Love coupled with that knowledge, grace coupled with that knowledge, love coupled with that knowledge builds up. So we grow not only in knowledge, but we grow in grace. We grow uh, in, 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 in understanding of the grace that was poured out through Jesus Christ for us. We understand that we were wretched, that we were not righteous, that we are not good, that we are not holy. We had lives full of rebellion and running, but he still loved me. He still loved me enough to save me, to redeem me. And when you understand the grace of God, when you understand his great love for you, when it was so undeserved, it fills us with humility. It fills us with grace. And we can start to respond one to another in a gracious manner. You see, when you understand his grace, it leads us to humility. And humility leads us to gratitude. And gratitude leads us to worship. And all of a sudden, now our lives 
are lived as this fragrant offering to the glory of Christ Jesus. His salvation was freely given. His grace was freely given. It was not warranted by our works. And when we understand his grace for us, we then grow in grace as well. We start to humble ourselves like Jesus because he humbled himself for us. We start to be patient like Jesus because he was patient with us. We start to be kind like Jesus is kind and patient like Jesus is patient because he was that for us. We reach out like Jesus, even when they don't deserve it, because he reached out for us. Verse 14 says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of your Lord is salvation. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. And verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. As we wrap up and the band comes, we're waiting. We're waiting. And how are you doing in the waiting. Are you diligent? Are you eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? And are you being diligent in that waiting? Are we wasting time living for ourselves? Are we growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus? Are we holding fast to the authority of Scripture and taking that in every day? Is it moving us and stirring us to share that same hope and that same grace with the hurting world around us, with your coworkers, with your family members, with your neighbors? Are we sharing that hope with the lost and dying world and whom the Lord is being patient with right now? How are we doing in the waiting? How are you waiting? My encouragement is that we would be diligent. See, a life lived for me, a life lived in selfishness, in my own self-absorbed state, it's full of spots and blemishes. We've been given one life. That's one thing that 2020 has taught me. My family's experienced a lot of loss this year. And I really feel like time is short. Time is super short. You just don't know. You don't know when it could be over like that. The Lord could call you home in any minute, or the Lord could gloriously return for his church, and it could all be done. It could be all over. And we're sitting here waiting. We're waiting for that. Our great hope, the hope, the advent, the arrival, the coming of Jesus in this life that I'm living, I want to wait well. I want to wait well, holding out that hope to the lost and hurting world around me. Because it's all that matters. Jesus is the only thing that matters. Everything else is going to burn. Everything else is going to waste away. Everything else will be gone in the twinkling of an eye. Except those who Jesus has called to himself. We have the hope. 
He's given us a deposit of the gospel. He's given us a deposit of the Holy Spirit. I want to be diligent. I want to wait well. And I want to share the hope of Jesus Christ. I hope that's you too. Because that's the calling of the church. That's the calling of this church. That we would hold out the hope of Jesus, especially in this season, especially this year. I said it last week, and it was not in my notes, and I'm going to say it again this week, man. The world is ripe to hear the gospel. This, this year has undone people in such a special way. It sucks. Like, it's been painful. It's been uncomfortable. But it has undone people in a special way to hear and receive the hope of Jesus. Be diligent. Wait well. Understand your calling in Christ Jesus. And get out there and be the church. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your hope that is found in you alone. That one day you're going to return for us. One day you're coming back and this broken world will be redeemed by you. That everything broken and untrue you will restore. We thank you, Jesus. And God, when we are found in you, when we have put our faith in you, God, that there is this glorious home that awaits us in Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you. God, help us to wait well and hold out the hope of salvation in you. We thank you for this time. Continue to stir us, change us, transform us, empower us with your Holy Spirit to get out there and to be your church. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.